Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have August Biniatz and Ava Benasaki. They are founders of CPI Capital, a Canadian-based real estate investment firm that focuses on identifying multifamily opportunities throughout the United States and offering it to their investors uh, all over North America. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Charles. We're excited to be here. <laughs> it's awesome to have actual uh, foreign investors that come on the show because I always talk to people that have done it and uh, they kind of, are, you know, unless that you guys have a business for doing it, so you're interested in coming on. But a lot of investors that have done one or two deals are not really interested in coming on. So it's great that I can find uh, actual international investors that work with international investors all day long. And uh, we can kind of uh, talk about what you guys see happening, what you guys do. Um, but uh, give us a little background, both personally and professionally, both of you, uh, prior to getting involved in real estate investing. Yeah, for sure. For Please sure. Ahead, yeah. So yeah, thanks. Thanks again for having us. We're really excited to bring value to your listeners. Um, firstly, I'm, a, I'm CEO of, of CPI Capital. We're a real estate investment firm based in Vancouver, Canada. Um, a little bit about what I did beforehand is I was in real, I, I have a real estate background. I was in real estate for over a decade, how time flies. I started very young at the age of 22 um, and I was in residential real estate and I helped many investors over the years. In Canada, particularly, there's a lot of pain points that exist for investors wanting to invest in real estate with median home prices being very high um, and, of course, trying to scale as an active investor. So we, I pivoted my focus to real estate private equity um, about two years ago where we co-founded CPI Capital. Uh, it's a uniquely innovative company that allows investors to invest in real estate um, fractional real estate investing, we call it, um, and relieves them from all the pain points. Um, and that's kind of a little bit about me. No, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Myself, my background is also in construction, real estate development for the past 15 years. And um, um, yeah, I've been significantly involved in, in real estate for a long time. It was just uh, probably around three years ago when I uh, realized about this concept of real estate private equity or syndication, as the, they call it in the U.S., where um, an operator or a general partner finds a deal, a deal brings on investors, manages the deal for a portion of the profit, love the concept. Uh, unfortunately, we were here in Canada, and uh, he, uh, the issue here was that the rental yields are so low that it doesn't, the, the business model doesn't really work here. Um, you could syndicate deals, and I was syndicating deals before even knowing what syndication meant. I was finding deals, bringing on investors, but to be able to, you know, pay uh, cash flow and, and, and for that, <clears throat> the rental yield to exist, it wasn't really non-existent here. So when I saw the U.S., we realized the opportunity that exists right across the border. And then the more research we did, we realized that on the institutional level, there's lots of investments being done in the billions of dollars annually, where a Canadian pension fund, fund partnered with Graystar to uh, purchase large multifamily properties in the U.S. and build multifamily. So we knew that it's already happening on an institutional level. How can we offer this to retail investors, and um, we started on a journey, educational journey initially, realizing all the tax, um, uh, cross-border tax items, um, compliance issues, the corporate structure needed, needed, and then, um, uh, you know, ha having to uh, partner with operators and what have you. And we, we started CPI Capital, and it's been a 
incredible journey and we've dedicated really our lives to it. So excited to be here today and chat, chat, uh, chat with you more about it. Awesome. So what was your first real estate investment? Did you guys start off with a fractional ownership or you limited partners in a syndication or how did you guys first dip your, your toes in the water? Uh, this is for you, you're in, in, pertaining to the multifamily private equity or just in general ever? Uh, I would say with that, ever, your first investment, maybe not uh, maybe not a primary residence, but anywhere it could be in Canada, it could be any other country or here in the United States, sure. kind of how you guys started. For sure. Well, uh, mine was in Alberta. Yes. I bought a duplex. Okay. <laughs> that was my first real estate investment ever. And, you know, it goes back to yes. it goes back to investing in Canada where you're purchasing for cash flow, there's not much appreciation. And where you're purchasing for appreciation, there's not much cash flow. So that was one of, that was my first real estate investment. That was your primary residence though. It was, yes. yes. Yeah, but your house hacked it almost, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice, awesome. Yes, and, and for, for me, it was very interesting. Um, my family was always very much interested in real estate. They were not big real estate investors, but they, re right. they believed in the asset class. I was in downtown Vancouver going for a walk. Um, and um, I saw a, a presentation center where they were planning to build a high rise and there were these one bedrooms for sale at uh, 199,000. And you could put down, uh, it was a pre-sale, pre-sale. So you could put down 5% and I, I had some money. This is almost 20 years ago, maybe around 18 years ago. And um, you, you could put down some, uh, some I think 5% down. And at that time you could get CMHC loan, which is a insured um, uh, similar to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in the US. Mm -hmm. And that was the first, uh, you know, the one bedroom condo that I purchased. It was, it was delayed for, for a year or so for construction. 200,000? 200,000. We all had a crystal ball. <laughs> downtown you know Vancouver, 200,000. And then I, um, I ended up selling it. Unfortunately, I shouldn't have never. I ended up selling it for, yeah. I think, 475,000 years yeah. later. But yeah. And now it's probably wow. Probably worth around 700k, I would say, yeah. 750 maybe. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's interesting how you call it fractional ownership because, uh, and we call it here a syndication, and it changes per different country. I remember I was at a meetup in Hong Kong, and I was talking to people about multifamily. They go, they're like, "What the hell is multifamily?" And I was like, "Oh, they're like, oh, you just buy like a lot of flats, and then you rent them out and stuff." And I was like, "Yes, that's okay. That's how I'm gonna explain it here. Then that's perfect. Yes." Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And and again, there's there's a lot of terms that get thrown around, and a lot of Canadians are receiving their educational content coming from the U.S. side, so it creates a lot of confusion. There's a lot of terms that have different meanings in the U.S. For example, uh, you know, in the U.S., it's recommended to use LLCs to, to purchase real estate and what have you, uh, but we don't have LLCs in Canada. We have uh, corporations, we have limited partnerships, uh, we have limited liability partnerships, but we don't have LLCs. This and another, kind of another good one is the, the offering memorandum. Um, here okay. it's an actual contract that's made ah. of exemption that we use to raise capital as opposed to the U.S. where it's a deal presentation. Um, so August and I really seen the, you know, with the terminology that was used that was Absolutely. so different on each side of the border. And we kind of educate our Canadian investors. Hey, it doesn't mean that. Don't get confused. So what is a CPI? What is your current investment strategy? And in, uh, I mean, I imagine you're focusing mainly in the United States, um, if not all. Uh, what is your current investment strategy? What type of markets are you looking at? Properties you're looking at investing in? Well, we love the Sunbelt states. We follow the numbers, <laughs> yes. right? Consistent job growth, population growth, income growth, and rental growth. Um, so we love the Sunbelt states where everybody's kind of flocking right now, the Fortune 500 companies. Um, and go ahead. Why don't you tell us our business yeah, model? Yeah, our, our business model is actually very interesting. I mean, our journey is very interesting. Anytime I look, look at real estate private equity firms, 
um, their, 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 uh, their, their journey is always somehow the principal started from single family and then eventually scaled up to eventually get into multifamily and then there was a need for uh, capital and then they, they, they seek private equity to, um, to do their business. With us, when, when we realize the potentials that exist in the US and we, we realize that we have to deal with possibly hundreds or even thousands of investors, right away we, we focus on what is the best product to present to our investors. And that was into institutional multifamily. But institutional multifamily is, you know, 100 plus unit. In some, some cases now it's 200 plus unit. And we're talking about tens of millions of dollars. So CPI Capital started out as a real estate private equity firm rather than us starting from single family the and more flags, mo send, you know mo moving I mean? our way up. So it's a very interesting process. But yes, it's a, it's a real estate private equity uh, firm that partners with Canadian LPs and US LPs to purchase US multifamily real estate, both class A, where you know, there, there needs to be a value add component in the assets we look at, but it doesn't necessarily have to be um, renovations. Uh, it could be, you know, some certain types of um, upgrades that, uh, you know, force appreciates the asset. And that's, that's kind of our um, 30,000 view of our business model. And that's exciting. Yeah. That's what we love to educate investors on is, is how you can go into a multifamily asset and force appreciate the value. Um, that's what's so exciting about our business model is going in there and force appreciating the value of the asset, which is so powerful. That's why we call it a wealth building machine. Um, and, and then, yeah, do that and, and everybody wins on the back end. So Awesome. Uh, yeah. So you touched on it prior about the differences between U.S. and Canadian real estate. Uh, and use some examples. Are you able to kind of dig into that and let us know kind of taxes, cap rates, cash flow, how it differs, um, and then how I guess how it differs between the United States and Canada? Sure, I can make I can give some t uh, tax breakdowns and and the differences. So we, there is no 1031 exchange. There is no deferral of taxes um, uh, in real estate. But the advantage that Canada has is on a uh, on a primary residence. There is um, there's no capital gains paid. So if a properties your your and there's no cap i think in the us the cap is at 250,000 profits anything above that you have to pay capital gains on even on your primary residence where in canada as long as the property is your primary residence uh, uh, you, you can sell it for any profit and there is no cap. So there's no capital gains. It's fully tax-free. Um, uh, as, as far as depreciation and cost segregation is not as advantageous as the U.S. Uh, they, you know, they, they do exist, but it's much less here in Canada. Um, what are the tax items? Is there anything else? That's about it for tax. Um, but I wanted to touch on cash flows and cap yeah. rates and that kind of stuff as well. So um, in the great cities here in Canada where you're, where you're purchasing for appreciation, because you obviously as a, as a real estate investor, you want two main fundamental components, and that's cash flow and appreciation. Mm -hmm. You can't really get both here in Canada. Um, so in the great cities, uh, Vancouver and Toronto, a median home price is 1 to 1.3 million. Um, so you're, you're, you're banking on that uh, speculation of appreciation, but you're most likely in most cases is a negative cash flow and the other provinces that you purchase in you get a little bit of cash flow but you're not getting much appreciation now for cap rates they're very compressed in the cities that obviously in the great cities as well at a one to two percent um so they're the being advertised uh, to be around three and a half but the more research you do into yeah. it, uh, it yeah. it's much lower than that yeah. yeah so if you really look at it the business model of of the excitement to purchase multifamily is not not exactly <laughs> the the greatest fund for us here it's for people who want to just park their money somewhere and yeah. um have really deep pockets right so it doesn't work yeah. for 
for investors kind of pulling together their yeah. capital and, and the, our business model. For sure. And U.S. population, I mean, over 300 million. There is a, a interstate migration happening within the U.S. People people move. So they're not reliant on, on foreign investors or on, on, on foreign immigration. Canada is very reliant on foreign immigration. There's 300,000 immigrants that come into Canada pre-COVID annually. And majority of them want to live in Vancouver and Toronto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's what that, that's that's what kind of creates the demand. So something could happen as far as immigration or regulations, and it will affect the market right away. So mm-hmm. uh, totally different market. Also, the investing culture is a lot different between Canada and the U.S. Canadians are very um, uh, conservative. Very conservative. They're, they're hyper <laughs> hyper cautious uh, when it comes to <laughs> investing and what have you. Americans, I mean. Uh, we have had we have had, we've had many investor U.S. investors investing with us, and uh, you know they give us, hey, what is the minimum? Is twenty five thousand? All right, I invest fifty k with you. Yeah, like but, no problem. But, like one phone call. <laughs> Canadians are like, Ava, I gotta I gotta have a call with you again, and then another call, the then li- another call after that. I'm like, the, no problem. The list of questions of Canadian investors <laughs> yeah. like, what did you come? What did you do before? Did you ever own another company? Like, we have to go through an interview session with all our yeah. Canadian. But it's like, really exciting educating people. people. It, yes. It's really really exciting educating people, and and yeah, Canadians are so different. From, from Americans. <laughs> it's amazing because we, we share a border and stuff like that and a lot of different, you know, uh, customs and thoughts. But uh, so tell us more about um, why would it be obviously not knowing United States real estate makes it difficult for someone to invest. But what are the reasonings making it now you've done it many of times before yourselves and for investors. So it's not difficult for you. But if I was a Canadian investor want to invest in the United States, what are the biggest hurdles, let's say, that I would have to overcome, whether it's into a syndication uh, or whether it's or fractional ownership or is it into a my own property as an active investor or turnkey investor or something like that? For sure. And let's, let's differentiate those yeah. two, uh, uh, you know, particularly because uh, there is issues and concerns with both of those items. So as far mm-hmm. as a individual investor looking to invest in, in, in real estate in the U.S., Canadian investor, uh, the, the issues and hurdles they're going to face is debt, is, is, mm-hmm. is getting debt. Yeah. That's going to be the first concern. In some cases, they, have to, they, they can't apply for any debt. Um, and, and the other main issue is repatriation of any profits they've made on the mm-hmm. U.S. side. And then obviously remote management that goes hand in hand with uh, owning properties in the U.S. and also uh, finding the right property. You know, you call a real estate agent uh, and you're at the mercy of the agent and the deals they sent to you. So you not have a, a consistent deal flow. So that's the issues as far as somebody looking to invest, um, uh, you know, uh, themselves personally into U.S. real estate. But on the syndication side, on, on real estate private equity, the concern is there are um, operators, um, investment firms in the U.S. that accept Canadian investors, mm-hmm. but their, their their process is not tax efficient. So yeah. most syndications, most real estate private equity firms utilize the LLC structure mm-hmm. to put their deals together. LLCs are the most inefficient tax mm-hmm. structure for Canadians. The Canadians will be taxed double tax. They'll have to pay taxes in the U.S. They have to pay taxes in Canada. So up to 70% of their profits is gone to taxes for both countries. Um, and that, that's the concern when it comes to other operators saying, hey, yeah, if you're Canadian, that's fine. Just, just uh, incorporate a U.S. LLC and you can invest with us through your U.S. LLC. And unfortunately, um, some of our investors and uh, many people we've talked to have gone that route. Yeah. So that's the concern. So our firm, what it does is obviously with, with, with an extensive focus on tax efficiency has created a tax efficient process where we create a fund of fund structure, Canadians invest into a um, Canadian fund and a Canadian fund invests into the U.S. fund that owns the asset. Any U.S. investors that we have invest directly into the U.S. fund. Okay, so that would be, just to go over this one more time, that fund I imagine in Canada is an 
limited partnership. Yes. And then that is owning a share of the, I imagine, the United States, most of the deals uh, operators are doing, like you said, are LLCs. So the property is usually owned in an LLC, and then you have the different LLCs around it of like, you know, general partners and limited partners and all this stuff. So you that LP is owning portion of the limited partnership, uh, limited liability company here in the United States. Yeah. So unfortunately, if there is a, a, a LLC involved at any part, oh, of it, okay. it makes it on tax. It's mm. not tax efficient. So it's, it yeah. gets a bit more complicated. So uh, the, the, the Canadian LP limited partnership becomes an LP of the U.S. single purpose vehicle. Mm. So okay. and then and then yeah, so it's structured a bit different. <laughs> I gotcha. I gotcha. It's almost like a tenants in common kind of thing that you'd have if you're a 1031 something here in the United States, which you don't have it there, but it's something where there actually has ownership, direct ownership of the property. So well that makes that makes sense. Because we do properties, one of my partners um is from Canada and uh that we're doing a deal right now in Georgia, and uh, we form everything in LPs and we do everything in LPs because of a lot of foreign investors. He's originally from uh, Toronto. Oh, so nice. it's something that um, it's, it's, I, I see it all the time. And every time I see it, I go, oh, there's Canadian investors. Yeah. And every time I see it, I know it exactly why, why it's being done. But um, so you, asked, you talked about how, uh, let's just say Canadian investors are much more thorough when they're investing compared to United States investors or, uh, you know, Americans in general, I guess, uh, you know, um, US uh, people in general. But what common concerns or risks Canadian investors have that you see? When they're considering an investment in U.S. multifamily, um, other than uh, vetting you guys uh, and making sure that you guys are legitimate, what what other concerns do they usually have? I'll, I'll let Ava take I'm this because trying. she's head of investor relations, <laughs> so uh. she, she deals with these concerns on daily basis. Yeah, you know, the biggest one is the tax efficiency. Okay. Uh, I have to say that's a question that, like, that's a conversation I'm having yeah. hundreds of times now with investors. Um, and other than that, you know, they. Most Canadians, they just want to learn about how the you know project is being executed, like how the business model is being executed, and and really kind of just on a high level learn about the the states that we're investing in, and we educate our investors on all that as well. Those are just kind of the I'm just trying to think. It's mostly about the tax um, because most Canadians that I have conversations with, you guys, they're they're so excited to learn more because the numbers are so low here compared yeah. to what we're seeing I, I, in the I US. Think, I think one of the major concerns that Ava saw, and okay, we yeah. both saw initially, was the idea that the returns we were offering on our deal okay. presentations were too high and it literally <laughs> sounded too good to be true. Okay, true. yes, that's- So that's, our advisors uh, that, that told us, hey, listen, bring your returns lower on your presentation. I'm like, hey, that's what's showing in our performance. We're not amplifying. Yes, We're actually yes. being conservative. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fine. Lower the returns because that's to Canadian investors who are happy with a 4%, 5% gr- gross in some cases on their investments. When they see 20% double your money in yeah. five years, it's gonna sound- uh, It's gonna you know, sound like too good to be true, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're like, hey, tell me more about how you guys get these types of returns. And then I explained to them, you know, from the rents we collect, we're able to pay all, everybody, and then still have enough cash flow left over for you guys. Um, So that's one of the main concerns as well, was the returns are a little bit too high. And then we explained the value add concept where you you upgrade the units, uh, you know, putting washer dryers Mm -hmm. might cost us $1,200 per unit. That increases the rents by 35 to $50 per unit. That increases the NOI. And just by that increased NOI, we are creating 
millions of dollars in, in, in a mm -hmm. value creation. And that concept is- On a 200 unit at $150 rent yeah. premium, you're creating close to $10 million in value. So I also I also talked to them about that. On a 4% cap rate. On a 4% yeah. cap rate. Now keep in mind, a lot of people that get on calls with me, they've never heard of what fractional real estate investment or real estate syndication. Um, a lot of Canadians want to invest across borders because obviously there's so much opportunity that exists and they can see that. They just don't know where to begin. They don't know where to start. Um, and then we get out there, we speak on many platforms and say, hey, everybody, guess what? You can invest in real estate 100% passive with limited liability um, and kind of leave all the heavy lifting we take all the hard work away from real estate investing, um, so they're just really excited to talk about that too. It's it's a it's yeah. a con it's actually a new concept for not only just Canadians. A lot of U.S. investors exactly. are reaching out to me as well, saying, "Hey, wait a second, I can diversify my." For financial portfolio yes. with real estate syndication. Yes. This is so cool. Passive investing, limited yeah. liability, don't have to worry about debt. And then you take 70% yeah. of the profits and they're in case that they're, they're, they're preferred returns. And I suggest to any investor who's looking to invest, make sure there's preferred returns being offered. Yeah. And the, you, you're keeping the feet of the general partner to the fire to make sure they perform because if they don't hit that preferred return, they're not participating in any upside. So it's yeah. Yeah. and it's backed by tangible asset. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's just the list goes on, right? Yeah. So oh gosh, yeah, those are kind of um, yeah, that's that's the conversations we're having on a day to day. No, oh, that's great. Yeah, those are all great selling points. Um, so obviously, you guys are in Vancouver. These properties are in the Sun Belt. You're working with operators in this in these areas. Um, myself being in Florida, I would consider myself there. So, what are you looking for in operators, and um, how do you evaluate them in house before you before you're offering these opportunities to uh, your investor base in Canada? Yes, and I'll go back to kind of the the the, the inception of CPI and its its trajectory and its growth. Initially, when we started CPI, the plan was for CPI to be the operator. Um, and and when when we realized about the amount of time that's going into our educational content, where we're creating our YouTube channel, um, you know, and and multiple platforms we're on, and and the the time that's being spent to cultivate and nurture relationships with investors, we realized that uh, you know we might not have enough. Um, uh, you, you know, enough, enough time or resources to spend on the, the asset acquisition and management. So um, we made the decision early on to partner with active operators to be our uh, uh, boots on the ground uh, in the regions we want to be in. But soon we realized that that model is an excellent model because we realize a lot of firms, they, they become focused in the regions they're in, the actual operators. So if they're in Florida, they're very Florida focused and they have to, at some point they have to deploy capital. So they end up buying deals, maybe not the best deals that, that, that was available. They just had to buy a deal. And when they have an infrastructure, they have employees, they, they have overhead. For us, we realized that, hey, we have you know, part, we, we, first is in the regions we want to be in. We want to be just like Ava mentioned in the Sunbelt states and the states that show certain growth metrics. But now we partner with certain operators in those the regions. And then we sit back and literally cherry pick the best deals the operators send to us. And then the deals that make sense that we present those deals to our investors. So the, our, our deal, it, it creates excellent deal flow and also tremendous um, the possibility for return and growth to our investors. So we ended up actually falling in love with this concept of partnering with operators, the same kind of concept that larger firms like, uh, you know, uh, that use even Blackstones of the world use operator uh, kind of model to partner with, uh, with, with the boots on the ground. And then we can be diversified throughout the Sunbelt states, um, not just yeah. stuck in one area. 
Yeah, a lot of different operators. And I like the idea because the majority of the time what we're looking at when we're talking to partners in other operators, it's, um, you know, you're just turning down deals. And the majority of deals we're turning down, which is, you know, people, I have investors ask me, hey, when's the next? Well, you know, when we find something that works, you know, we're not pushing. Um, you, you have to make some, make sure something, you know, checks off the boxes that you're comfortable with, that your investors will be comfortable with, that everything, you know what I mean? The whole, the whole process that you're underwriting a deal with when they send you underwriting and you're reviewing it and everything else that goes with it. But um, if your group, you know, your group focuses on raising capital. So what are the most effective methods for finding accredited investors and raising money um, in the U.S. or as well in Canada? Well, August and I have really dedicated our lives to kind of spreading awareness of who we are and building a really big brand, right? So we're, we're, we're speaking on many, many platforms throughout Canada and the U.S., and that's created a lot of, of, of attention for us. Absolutely. Being featured in news publications was another really big one for us. Um, just talking about talking about real estate syndication and, and the opportunity that exists for investors. Um, we've, we've had a lot of people sign up through um, just creating awareness and getting out there. Yes. Um, and then of course, nurturing. We're very good at nurturing our, our investor community. Yes, it doesn't hurt when you have a monopoly. Um, so um, you <laughs> know, it doesn't hurt That's when true. you're offering products to your investors yeah. that a 20%, 15 to 20% annual mm -hmm. return that provides cash flow from day one. And mm -hmm. then the other products in the market don't provide pref returns. Uh, there, in most cases, there is no cash flow. Is a, a minimum ten. In most cases, some cases, minimum ten year hold. So when you have a product that differentiates itself as such, so it makes the job a lot easier. But also early on, when we started kind of researching the the cross border taxations and uh, compliance items and, and and many other issues, we realized there isn't a lot of content when it comes to Canadians investing in the U.S. Mm -hmm. There is on an individual level, but not on this concept of real estate private equity. So we started an educational wing of our company that 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 uh, you know a lot of time and resources get dedicated to, and that it that I would say that's probably our number one. Uh, lead generating um, uh, platform is our YouTube show, our meetup groups across Canada, our events that we hold. Um, you know, we're very active on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is an LinkedIn. excellent place to uh, you know create connections, not only on uh, for investors, but also for um, you know uh, other professionals in the industry. Um, I, I have operators that contact me on a weekly basis that uh, you know I connect with, and some of them I've ended up working with. So LinkedIn is another great platform to to seek potential leads, and um, and um, yeah, that's that's kind of been. You know, uh, been, been our journey um, with with cultivating a relationship with investors. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, LinkedIn's a fantastic platform, and I like it better than some of the other ones because I get a lot less spam on it, if minimal. If that. it's just like I don't know how they do it, but compared to like Facebook and stuff, I get messages all the time. I'm trying to delete them and stuff. But um, what are common mistakes that you see real estate investors make since you have evaluated a number of operators and deals and stuff like that? What What do you think? are things that are huge red flags or things that um, operators do that um, are mistakes? Yeah, I think I think for when I look at, I mean, again, you the, the real estate space is very broad, um, but, uh, you know, generally uh, investing in real estate, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to have fear of missing out and having to invest in something if this is on a single family or on a personal level or investing with a private equity firm, real estate private equity firm, is not to be forced to invest or uh, there's a fear of missing out, taking your time, understanding the business model, understanding the operator. Also, the fact that 
you know, uh, transparency is extremely important. Um, if, if, if a group is not being transparent, not answering your question, is not being prompt, that's another kind of red flag to look out for, particularly working with, with groups. And, and investors have to understand that as much as we boast and brag about a real estate private equity in this concept of uh, syndication, it, it is somewhat of a marriage. When you're investing, your mm -hmm. capital is, is, is in that project, you know, you're, you're, you're stuck in it for the term of the project, three years, five years, seven years, and is somewhat of a marriage with the operator. So if you feel like you, you know, you, you're not getting along or you, you don't have a good gut feeling, you should really go with that gut feeling because um, the, your, your, your investment is in the hands of the general partner and any decision they make. That's the whole concept of GPLP is that the LPs are the silent partners, the investors, and the GP makes all the decisions related to the deal. So they could decide to hold the deal for an extra couple of years. So those are all, all the... Um, you know, um, uh, you know the, the items that uh, an investor has to focus yeah, on. Yeah, ask a lot of questions before you um, make a decision for sure. See what kind of communicate, what, what the communication's gonna be like. That's a big one. Right. See, yeah. Yeah. See how much they communicate. Hey, is it gonna be monthly? Is it gonna be quarterly statements, rent rules? Like, tell me, how much am I involved here? Because um, that's a big one as well. Yeah, I was at this conference uh, a couple years back and uh, somebody got on stage and they're like, uh, who's on deal lists like emails, right? And everybody, you know, half the room raised their hand, like who like wish they had better communication from those operators that are getting emails from. And like, you know, most of the hands stayed up and it's uh -huh. crazy because it's communication is such a big thing, um, especially in the beginning of the relationship when you've purchased that. And I, there's well-known groups, operators out there that have poor communication that are very good, but they just don't have very good communication. So it's something that I always like speaking to limited partners that have invested prior to working with an operator to see how it works. And how is the communication and everything like that? Because, you know, it's like they're good operators. That's that's number one. But then also it's like, well, the you know, your new limited partners don't know that. Right. So it's yeah. very important. So that's uh, that's awesome. That's great information. Yeah. Um, I just so say bring, one, one more quick point here is, is, is when, when we see these multi-billion dollar uh, firms and funds and, and um, I subscribe to their information and, and uh, you know, I speak with some of their investors and when we see the newsletter they send out and, and the amount of access to resources they have and, and the content that they create is, is, is either minimal or non-existent and not only even on the, on the kind of emails they send out and, and investors have talked to us is like, hey, your process for onboarding an investor and the communication that you have is greater, greater than these, you know, some publicly traded yeah. huge yeah. REITs. So that's that's shocking, right? So, I mean, it's, uh, it's just, that's that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's completely true. Um, so other than you guys becoming experts in Canadians investing into U.S. real estate, what are main factors that have contributed to your success? I'd say resilience. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> resilience, it hasn't been, a, you know, obviously building a business from the ground up is not an easy uh, thing to do. Um, but, um, you know, resilience, uh, learning that, you know, you create a system, if it doesn't work out, that's okay. Just keep going, create another system and another system, and it will end up, you'll you'll perfect your systems and things will get a lot easier as you go along. Um, sure. For me, is, uh, frankly, ahead. is mindset. I mean, yeah. is limitations that we, uh, we, we, 
we, we create in ourselves and just is, is just a, yeah. uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's part of our imagination. We literally create limitations that are not there, particularly like in this business, uh, uh, real estate private equity uh, is, is one of the most sophisticated businesses out there. And, um, you know, most times, uh, you know, the uh, common kind of view is, hey, you know, this is above your pay grade. Don't get involved in such business. But in, in the age we live today, um, everything is done through contractors anyways. You know, if, if, even large firms, they have a certain executive that looks after a certain department. And today, those executives are for hire through great, um, you know, online platforms. So, uh, you know, and you can have a, a, a you know, we, we have somebody with a PhD that helps us from overseas. Uh, I mean, for a fraction of the price in some of the work that we do, I, I, you know, uh, content creators and yeah. graphic designers, it is possible as long as you're great at, at managing, and as long as you have you, you have you have laser focus on the concept and, and the idea that you have, it's all possible. So I would say the mindset is not allowing for there to be limitations and 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 you know creating more possibilities for yourself and your business. Beautifully said. And if I could add one more thing, really believing what you're doing can help a lot of people. Like that's another thing. We really believe in you know what we're what we're doing, and we're so excited mm -hmm. to share it with so many people. I think people can see the excitement. And, and you know what I mean? And when people sometimes we're a little too excited, we're a little people too are excited. saying, Calm down. <laughs> we're students of the game. We love learning more. Yes. Like we, in our spare time, we, we watch <laughs> videos and we look, read books. We just, we, you have to be the student of the game because we're dealing with investors capital and the, you know, we're stewards of the, of their investments. It's so important to know everything about the business. So, you know, the, our FAQ list keeps growing. It keeps growing. Every time a question is asked that we don't know the answer to, it gets added to the FAQ. Absolutely. Nice. Awesome. That's fantastic. Uh, it's it's awesome what you said about the mindset because I think that's a huge thing that's a little overlooked when I when I ask that question in different podcasts. So, but um, awesome, very good. So, how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? Yeah, so we have a YouTube show, uh, so you can find us on YouTube, Canadian Passive Investing Academy, and then also we're really active on LinkedIn. Ava Benasaki, you can find me. I'm super easy to get a hold of. Um, August Pinyaz on LinkedIn. <laughs> Our website is cpicapital.ca. We're trying to buy the .com, but yes, the guy is asking too much money for it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, yeah, we, we, we love LinkedIn. We're there all the time, creating content, giving a, uh, lots of, uh, you know, uh, great information on there. Um, our YouTube show. Uh, yeah. And, and we're very, you know, we're, we're a leadership team of a real estate private equity firm that are very easy to reach. You can give us a call. Our phone numbers, emails, everything is online and get in touch with us if you have a question or any comment and love to add value yeah absolutely hey sounds good well thank you so much for coming on today uh looking forward to uh touching base with you guys face to face at some point and i'll put all those links into the show notes thank you absolutely. so much for having, us, for having us this is last have a great rest of your day hi guys it's charles from the global investors podcast i hope you enjoyed the show if you're interested in getting involved with real estate but you don't know where to begin set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com that's schedulecharles.com thank you thank you for listening to the global investor podcast if you like the show be sure to subscribe on itunes or google play to get new weekly episodes for more resources and to receive our newsletter please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com and don't forget to join us next week for another episode 
Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.